If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to join me for one verse in 2 Timothy chapter 3. True patriotism comes at a cost. I think that is something that we are familiar with. That is a phrase that we understand. But as we approach the scriptures this morning, I could say to you yet again in a spiritual light that true patriotism comes at a cost. They just sang about the Pledge of Allegiance. The Pledge of Allegiance was written in 1892, that's a long time ago, by Francis Bellamy, who, by the way, all good writing comes from, was a Baptist pastor. When he initially wrote the pledge, he did so to celebrate the anniversary of the arrival of Columbus in the Americas. It was published in a children's magazine, and the intention of it was to convey or stress the unity of the states. In its original form, it went like this, I pledge allegiance to my flag and the republic for which it stands, one nation, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. It was a bit of an evolutionary process. It was a growing process because 25 years later, there was a growing concern that with the influx of immigrants that were coming to the United States, they would not really know what my flag meant. So in 1923, the wording was added, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States. Not good enough. A year later in 1924, they came back and added, of America. As it went forward 30 years later, in a direct attempt to differentiate America from the growing spread at that time of communism and atheism around the world, they wanted to convey belief in a creator, and so the words, under God, were included. After the words were ratified, President Eisenhower wrote this, From this day forward, the millions of our school children will daily proclaim in every city and town, every village and schoolhouse, this patriotic oath and public prayer. Can you fathom that the President of the United States, after ratifying the words under God, would have the audacity to say that it was a public prayer? No doubt we have drifted from our moral foundation. It is undeniable that there has been a drift globally from scriptural moorings. And I want to communicate this morning some basic principles of truth concerning true patriotism. Before I get there, let me be very careful and clear to say as one wrote about where a Christian's deepest identity lies. He wrote this, if we are in Christ, joined to him by faith, all other pledges of allegiance have been relativized, whatever our nation of origin or naturalization. In Jesus, we have one final allegiance, and thus in this world, we will always be, in a very real sense, pilgrims, strangers, aliens, sojourners, and exiles, yet one in Christ. I know that I watch and I witness as people seem to think that the world is in complete disarray. 
We should not act surprised that our world has shifted. I pointed you a moment ago to 2 Timothy 3. Here's what the Apostle Paul told his protege in the faith, Timothy. He said, this know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. In the last days perilous times will come, know this. One chapter later, Paul's writing in this letter, he says this, For the time will come, he's speaking now of people listening to Scripture, when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust, they shall heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Paul was equipping Timothy with the awareness that there's coming a day When perilous times will arrive on the scene and people won't concern themselves with sound doctrine, but rather be curious about fables and myths. They won't want what the Bible says. Peter was writing and he said this, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust. There will be those who mock the truth of the scripture, and they will pursue their own ambitions, their own broken, carnal, fleshly lusts. Continue on. Jude said this, speaking of those that came before as teachers, they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. You say, well, I'm scared to death of these last days. If these last days are really going to usher in perilous times and people are going to turn away from the truth and they're going to be scoffers and people following after their own lusts, I'm terrified of the last days. I have some really, really bad news for you. You're in them. And we've been in them for a while. John, the beloved disciple, wrote this in 1 John 2. Little children, it is the last time. And he wrote this nearly 2,000 years ago. It is the last time we should understand that there will be a drifting from moral foundations and scriptural moorings. It is inevitable. As one wrote, the spirit of Antichrist has many forms and is present in every age. Everything which robs Christ of his glory is Antichrist and it is anti-Christian. Many forms undeniably. Present in every age, that's a fact. We should not be surprised that our world is in the condition that it is in. Christians and believers should not be in a panic with their palms turned upwards and their mouth agape by a seeming decline in morals and a seeming surge in sin. It has always been this way. The fact is, we have to gain our perspective. We have to square things up on the absolute unchangeable truth of Scripture. Here is what the church at Ephesus heard from the Apostle Paul. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Paul looked at the church at Ephesus and he said to them, don't be confused, you are engaged in spiritual warfare. It is an invisible warfare and you don't engage in spiritual warfare by carnal means. You only engage in spiritual warfare by spiritual means. Here is what he is declaring, sin 
is the satanic agenda, and it has been the case since the Garden of Eden. Of course we should exercise our freedoms and we should declare our allegiance as a patriot in defense of our nation. But above all, we must pledge allegiance to God. We must adhere to the truth. But the question rings out, okay, so what do we do? What do people like us, Christians like us, in an age like this one, do? Let's make it as simple as we can and plug in some scriptural principles to equip us in how we should act. The first thing I could say to you is this, be light. You say, do you mean lose weight? Well, if the shoe fits, or if the pants don't, sure. Apply it however you want. We'll make it a pretty general principle. Be light in the sense of illuminate. Be light. This is what the Bible says, Ephesians 5.11, speaking to Christians. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. We live in a dark world in the sense of its rejection of truth and presence of sin. Paul is getting very practical when he says, one of your callings as a believer in the midst of a dark age is to be light. Don't make this complicated. Convict people by turning the light on in the midst of the darkness. He comes back in two verses and he says, all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Turn the light on and you show what is going on in the darkness. I am much better looking with all the lights out. Completely dark room, I'm pretty handsome. Turn the lights on. Everything is revealed. You ever been awakened in the middle of the night by one of your littles and they come in and they snap you awake and you have to turn the light on and initially you are literally in blinded misery trying to navigate your way around the room? It is an uncomfortable sensation. No one wants to be exposed to that bright light And what the Apostle Paul is saying is simply this, don't overcomplicate it. Our world is uncomfortable when you are light because their unfruitful works, their deeds of darkness are exposed by your mere presence because you are light. Turn on the light. That's what Paul says. One wrote this, the siren songs of darkness promise great things, but they give only desolation. Darkness shelters evil and helps it fester. Night has no shame. The leaven of sin silently swells in the darkness. And so our culture mandates that we be open-minded and non-judgmental. The problem is God's word does not allow us the luxury of not having absolute standards of truth. If the scripture calls something evil, if the scripture says something is bad, if the scripture communicates that something is darkness, we cannot, as believers, do anything other than that. Be light. 
Now, as Paul is writing this in Ephesians 5, he says something very interesting. He says this in verse 14. Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Now, that makes his implication very clear. He is looking at believers who are living in Ephesus and he says to them, be light in the midst of a dark world. By your being light, you will reprove the unfruitful works of darkness. Don't engage in them, don't have fellowship with them, rather reprove them by being light. Then he lays this on them and he says, some of you who should have your light on, rather than having your light on, you're actually asleep and your light is off. Awake, sleeping believer, and turn your light on. How can I turn my light on? One of the ways that we can turn our light on is quite simply to share the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In love... And in compassion, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ makes manifest everything that is hidden in darkness, and that requires that we preach the word of God. That's what we've been given. Paul told Timothy, preach the word, be instant, in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine, tell people about Jesus Literally, communicate, proclaim the doctrine. That's what we're doing right now. That's why we assemble together for this moment where we place a primary emphasis on the doctrine of Jesus Christ. This is being light. Communicate the doctrine of Jesus Christ crucified for the sins of the whole world. The doctrine that the world is invited to be joint heirs with Jesus Christ through His shed blood. The doctrine that there is salvation through none other than Jesus Christ. Be urgent about it. Whether he is saying, Paul, the season seems advantageous or whether it seems adverse, communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. When there's an opportunity, seize it. When there isn't one, make one. Be urgent about the gospel. This implies then, it's not our anger It is not our rage, it's not our literature, it's not the level of our volume that in effect makes a difference. It is the light shedding truth of Jesus Christ. It's really practical, does Paul, when he says this backwards in Ephesians 5, 8. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Paul takes what I would consider in this verse a parental tone. A parental tone, in effect, he's snapping his fingers and he's saying, straighten up. You, as a believer, once belonged to the kingdom of darkness. But because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, you've been translated into the kingdom of light. You were once a child of darkness. You are now a child of light. And in a parental tone, he snaps his hands and he says, now act like it." Tell people about Jesus, and then with your character and your conduct in this life, back up the truth of the gospel. Be light. How can I be light? Live right. Walk like a child of light. Live it out. This explains why unsaved non-believers really don't like the church. Now, let me be clear. There are a myriad of other reasons Why lost people don't like the church. Some of it's your fault. Some of it's my fault. 
And by you, I mean the believer, and by me, I mean the pastors and some of its church culture. There's a myriad of reasons, but never forget that darkness doesn't like light because light exposes what goes on in the darkness. And if the truth of the word of God is proclaimed, there is a level of discomfort with that. This is not the most acceptable manner of life that we have about us. You say, well, what is God's agenda in this world? God has told us his agenda in this world. If you want to truly be a patriot, I would say to you, be light. And if you are going to be light, that means you must proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and with your character and your conduct, back up your proclamation. Jesus said in Matthew 28, go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. If you truly love your nation, remain faithful to God. So I need more than that. Okay, if you truly love your nation, love it by witnessing to lost people. If you truly love your nation, love holiness by refusing to compromise and to involve yourselves in the unfruitful works of darkness. Simply be light. Not only be light, we have this scriptural principle. Be ready to do good works. Paul was writing to Titus. Titus was pastoring a church on the island of Crete. In Crete, Titus and the small group of believers were in adversarial conditions. It wasn't like everybody on Crete just loved Christians. They had an uphill fight against the culture of the day. So Paul tells Titus, as you pastor this church on Crete, here's what you should tell them. He says this in Titus 3. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work. Speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Here is Paul again drawing a direct contrast between what we once were and what we are now. Don't forget you once were hateful. Don't forget you once were full of malice. But the love and the kindness of God changed you. He's arming us with how we can make a difference. Be Ready to work. Be ready to obey magistrates. Now, if we were to go over to Paul's fuller explanation on government in Romans 13, we would discover that both in Romans 13 and here in Titus, obedience to government rulers and authorities is not an option, but it is a command. Now, this starts to pull away from the base a little bit, right? Hold on now. Pastor, we are by nature rebellious. Correct. But by our supernature, we are spiritually enabled to submit according to the scripture. One pastor got really practical. He said this You don't get to pray as a Christian over whether or not you'll pay your taxes. You don't get to pray over whether you'll meet city codes for buildings. 
or operate your business according to state regulations or pay your employees minimum wage or get your car inspected or pay your registration fee or stand in line at the DMV or outside of the DMV post-COVID in the elements. You don't get a free pass just because you're a Christian. Put them in mind to be subject to, the, to obey magistrates. Another said this, while we engage in due process as citizens of this country, gladly voting and speaking our conscience, we can rest with complete confidence that God's purposes are never thwarted. He has every office under his control. Every judge is a minister of his providential direction. And the heart of every king is in the palm of his hand. There is never a reason for a Christian to panic. Now, on that note alone, most Christians would have to apologize to God because we live in a complete panic and tizzy over what happens in our day. There's never a moment for a Christian to panic when you understand the principles of Scripture. So Paul's trying to get really practical. He's telling Titus, who's pastoring a church on Crete, he's writing in Romans 13, and by the way, the emperor at the time was Nero, who despised... Christians hated Christianity, and the Apostle Paul says this, if you want to be light in darkness, you have to be ready to do good works, and you can't just be ready to do good works, you have to do it with the right attitude. I hate when Paul takes a parental tone. It's humbling. I feel in trouble the whole time. Be ready to do good works. Well, what does that mean? Be eager to go out of your way to serve community leaders. Just seriously do good works. Be ready for that. And then he starts working on our disposition. And here's how you should be in the community doing your good works as a Christian. And man, this is hard. This is a tough pill to swallow. He says, speak evil of no man. I wish he said, you're allowed to speak evil of those who are ideologically different than you. I wish he said in here very clearly, you can speak evil of Dallas Cowboy fans. I wish that was in there. I, I long for it. I would cut loose every sermon. You'd stop coming to church here. That would only be the content of my message. But he says, speak evil of no man, not one person. We can't abuse or insult with our lips. Are you ready for this? We can't run down politicians, fellow believers, family members, and ever hope to elevate the reputation of the gospel. This is a conversation changer, not a conversation starter. If you want to be light and truly patriotic, be ready to do good works with the right attitude. Speak evil of no man. Be no brawlers. That means Paul didn't take his gloves off every time somebody said something to him. He wasn't always looking for a fight. The fact is, even when you have a seeming right to take a swing, the Bible says, don't do it. Remember, you once were dominated by hate and malice, but the kindness and the love of God shined on you, and now you're a believer. Do the same for someone else. Do good works with a good attitude. Be gentle. Be kind. Show all meekness unto all kinds of people. It's going to get tough again, regardless of race, religion, 
regardless of political leanings or social status or age or ethnicity, be humbly considerate toward all of them. If they have a need, it doesn't matter who they are, be eager and ready to meet it. We live in a day and age, as Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4.4, where we are under the God of this world. It's a fact. And certainly he is a deceiver and undeniably his days are numbered. But the power of darkness is very real. It is treacherous. And unfortunately, sometimes the mentality of darkness on the outside creeps its way into the church and we begin to go kind for kind with the world, thinking that we are brightening the gospel, not realizing we are actually dimming its light. One wrote, it's only human to respond in kind But Christ requires of His church what is more than human, that we respond in kindness. This is high level, man. This is elite spiritual maturity. I find this interesting. 75 years, give or take, after the Apostle Paul wrote the letter to Titus to those in Crete, a teacher in Athens wrote this about Christians. Listen to what he says. The difference between Christians, he wrote, and the rest of mankind is not a matter of nationality or language or customs. He said, Christians do not live in separate cities of their own, speak any special dialect, or practice any eccentric way of life. Now, on that I say, maybe he hasn't met some of the Christians I've met. I've met some eccentric ones. But he goes on. They conform to ordinary local usage in their clothing, diet, and other habits. Nevertheless, they do exhibit some features that are remarkable and even surprising. For instance, even though they obey the prescribed laws in their own private lives, they transcend the laws. They show love to all men, and all men persecute them. They are misunderstood and condemned. They repay curses with blessings and abuse with courtesy. There's something different. When the light is on, there's something different about those who do good works in the right disposition. You once were lost, now are found. Act like it. In a way, he's saying, behave yourselves. Stop letting the darkness infiltrate your behavior. Turn your light on and let that light manifest that which is going on in darkness in 1 Peter 2 and verse 15. Peter gets very practical. I want you to simply listen to what he says in verse 15. For so is the will of God that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. How do I silence the ignorance of foolish men? With well-doing. With what we just studied. The indisputable fact is the best argument for and against Christianity is Christianity. Or more precisely, how Christians practice it. Your Christian life either makes you inroads or puts you at roadblocks as far as your influence with the gospel. True patriots, be light. Be ready to work. Here's a simple principle. Be prayerful. Paul told Timothy, I exhort therefore that first of all, and when he says that, this is not a reference to time, but it's a reference to priority, 
supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men. Now listen, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Why would we pray for kings and all that are in authority? Because of this scriptural principle from Romans 13. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. We cannot escape that. The powers that are in place are God-ordained powers. What can I do? Pray for them. Oh, I pray for them. Oh, I pray for them. Do you want to know how I pray for them? I pray for them like I pray for my neighbor that I hate. I pray for my neighbor. I pray that their dog dies. I pray that their house burns down. I pray that they move very far away. It's very similar to how I pray for you, Pastor. Please stop. Now what he is saying is this. Be prayerful for kings and all that are in authority. And what he's communicating is this is evangelistic prayer. This is great commission praying. Get this. Pray that they would know Jesus. Pray that they would become believers. Now, can you imagine that Paul is telling Timothy to have the church at Ephesus pray for Nero that he'd get saved? And everybody that's sitting in the congregation is like, man, you are super naive, Timothy, to be following Paul. Nero is never going to believe. Pray evangelistically. Pray the Great Commission kind of prayer. One wrote, prayer is the heart of the Great Commission. Prayer and missions are companions. Pray for your country. Pray for every country. Pray for your culture. Pray for all culture. Pray for your leaders. Pray for every leader. Are you praying or are you pouting? Because most of the time, Christians are doing a lot more pouting than they are doing praying. We don't know what God might do for us if we would simply pray. Another said, if you want your prayers to do the most good for the greatest number of people, be sure to include in your prayer those persons whose decisions create the conditions in which the purposes of the gospel prosper. Be prayerful. Evangelistically pray. What can a Christian do in this age other than throw their hands up and scream and shout or find a corner to hide in? Lock their doors and uh, idle away their time. I can say to you, be light. Be ready to do every good work with a good attitude. Be prayerful and then ultimately be trusting. Daniel in the Old Testament lived in incredibly adverse conditions. Daniel was a Hebrew child and the nation of Israel was overtaken by the Babylonians, and they took the sharpest children and they brought them back to Babylon and they put them into their education system. They literally took them from everything that they knew. These are adverse conditions. And Daniel chapter 2, listen to Daniel as he is praying and he gives an awesome declaration and communicates great truth about God. Here's what he says in verse 20. Daniel answered and said, blessed Be the name of God forever and ever. For wisdom and might are his. And he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness and the light dwelleth with him. Can you imagine that Daniel in that level of adversity says with peace in his heart, I know that God is in control. 
I know that God sets up and that God deposes kings. I know that every minister or that government official that is in place is ordained of God. God has not ceded control. In the end, everything that is wrong will ultimately be settled. In Romans 14, Paul asks this question, Why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. We have to trust and not panic. We have to live with the awareness and a settled abiding peace in our hearts that God is ultimately in control. And that eventually everything will be settled. You cannot write the last chapter of humanity and not include God. Rest in God's complete control. I'll conclude by just reading what one wrote. He said, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy. The most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. If that is so, I must take care, on the one hand, never to despise or to be unthankful for these earthly blessings, and on the other hand, never to mistake them for something else of which they are only kind of a copy, echo, or mirage. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of my life to press on to that country and to help others do the same. As a believer, my citizenship is in heaven, but that does not demote my patriotism, but it shapes my patriotism. My patriotism engaging in spiritual warfare looks a lot like this. While I'm here now, be light. Let the character and conduct of my life match the message of the gospel. Be light. Be ready to do good works. Be involved. Be engaged with the right attitude. Don't let the darkness infiltrate your motivation. Let your light make manifest what is going on in the darkness. Be prayerful. Be intentional about praying that the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ would illuminate and that people would truly be saved. And the whole time, let there be a settled abiding peace in your heart. Trust God. Would you please bow your heads just for a moment? Thanks for listening this week to the Graceway Baptist Church Podcast. For more information about our church and our ministries, head on over to our website at gracewaycharlotte.org. We are a church located in South Charlotte. We are growing and our ministries are doing big things for Christ. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, Email us at info at gracewaycharlotte.org. Also, stay in the loop with everything happening by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle is Graceway Charlotte. Thanks again for listening to the Graceway Charlotte podcast. We'll see you next week.